We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,197 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the always surprising, he's never boring, the fan favorite, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Lord Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? Uh, uh, I'm nervous. Nervous. I'm, 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 I'm nervous. We've been doing this for uh, years and you're nervous? Yeah, I don't normally get stage fright, but you see a lot of things have occurred to me over the last few days, probably since last weekend, and I've written nothing down. Um, I've listened in to the other podcasts. I've got things to say about that. I've got stuff, anecdotal stuff from conversations I've had recently, and I'm just hoping I can remember it all and put it all together. So really, I'm nervous about any kind of dementia that might have seeped into to this brain of mine um, that might stop me from getting it all out, if you know what I mean. Uh, other than that, I'm fine. How are you guys? I'm healthy and alive, doing well. I'm fit as a fiddle. Thank you very much. With the exception of um, had a slight pain in my uh, my el my left elbow, uh, but I think it was just um, I think I had something. I, I was kind of like knotted up just at, at my lower tricep there, and I think it was just throwing pain down past the uh, the elbow there. So I mean, I, I got it worked out yesterday or last night, and I kind of worked it a little bit today very gently, and it was leg day anyway. So other than that, I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, you should never skip leg day. Yeah, because we were talking about it in prep. I've got a similar sort of thing in my left thumb, and I've got no idea as to, to why it hurts. Uh, I have been doing a lot of work with a very heavy Japanese red oak bow staff, because it's a good exercise, again, for the forearms and the shoulders. But it could be, as I'm twiddling my, my staff around, <laughs> um, that I've uh, strained the thumb. So, yeah. They're both laughing and smirking for the benefit of the listener. I wasn't smutty about your pain in the wrist, um, which I could have been. So, you know, that's true. That's true. I was actually, I, to be fair, I was laughing harder in prep at some of the actions that have been taken by you in the past uh, that were justified, I have to say. To, to be fair, they, they were justified in each case, but we don't have to get into that. I, I would like to say, to start off with, and then I will let you, uh, I, will, I will turn you loose, right? You can you can talk about anything you want, anything that's been on your mind. We talked on the phone about an hour ago, well, two hours ago now, 
And you said specifically that you weren't going to tell me because you wanted everything to be organic and and flow naturally on the podcast. And we have not discussed any of it. So I'm looking forward to that. However, I would like to start with this. And I do have a surprise for you today, by the way, at the end. So don't let me forget. Excellent. I would like to congratulate you to start things off. And actually, I would like to congratulate you and all of the listeners. We're still alive after yesterday. Oh, was something supposed to happen on the solstice? Yes. On on the 21st. Well, of course, this will go out on the 23rd. But at time of recording, this is the 22nd. On the 21st, we were all supposed to die. Did you know that? I missed that memo, obviously. You missed that. Well... Yeah, unfortunately, it must have gone straight into the junk on my email. Well, no, this wouldn't have been on your email. This would have been on Twitter. Greta Thunberg, June 21st, 2018, tweeted the following. A top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. That was yesterday. Ah, bless her. Oh, she was arrested again yesterday. Apparently she was blocking some oil tankers from from uh, putting into uh, uh, into port. In Stockholm, she put on a lot of weight recently. Then, because it no, take no. quite a lot to block an oil tanker. No, she was still this this scrawny little vegan thing. I always sorry any any of our listeners who may be vegetarian or vegan. I've got to admit it. You know, it's it's just the way I feel. Um, I always feel very sorry for those individuals, but they probably enjoy that. You know, just had never savoring a big juicy steak the way that I do. So, you know, we have to have a certain level of sympathy for vegans and vegetarians. I do up until the point where it's forced upon me. Then you have no sympathy from me. Yeah, it's nothing worse than having something like a carrot forced upon you. I actually had a carrot as part of my my pre-dinner meal, which was uh, a salad that I made, and I didn't use any kale, which is your favorite. I I used uh, little gem lettuce, chopped spring onion, cucumber, tomato, and then wrapped all that round a great big juicy Aberdeen Angus burger or two inside a nice fluffy white roll. It was delicious. Thank you. See, as I said on the phone to you earlier, I said I always thought you were a secret American and you just proved it. Anyhow, moving right along, what do you have? Let's 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 let you off your leash and have at it. Where would you like to start? What do you have? Right. A little while ago, we did almost a whole podcast about inclusivity and equality and how you can't turn the clock back and how it's probably the fair thing to do. However, it comes with consequences. I was particularly speaking from the perspective of the number of of roles in our armed forces, in the UK armed forces, that have been taken over by women. And I wondered, when did that all start? When did it really start? Because all of those roles taken up by women instead of men means that there's one less male earning a decent living, getting the the rough edges knocked off them by military training and being inside that kind of regime. And it means that there's, you know, however many less men there capable of supporting a family, the basic unit of, of human society, the family, mother, father, and their children, regardless of sexuality of any offspring, that quite frankly doesn't matter. But the basic building block of society has always been the family. So when did this drive to equality um, and inclusivity start? And I was at a party at the weekend, and I've got to be very careful because the wife of the gentleman that I'm going to talk about was 
getting in, into her 80s, like very late 70s, 80 years old. And we started off a conversation about electric cars. And she said, well, they're not really environmentally friendly, are they? Because of all the electricity to charge them, all of the, the minerals to, to manufacture them. And I thought, you know, right on, lady. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that and relate to you. Then I was talking to her husband. Her husband, again, sat there. We were, we were by a canal having lunch and drinks at a theatre. And he was sat there in his little cargo shorts, a blue T-shirt, a canvas beanie hat to keep the sun off his head. And it turns out that he's an ex-admiral. And he used to be on the uh, Admiralty Interview Board, which is the organisation that chooses who becomes naval officers. And he told me that he had to write a paper. This is back in the 80s. He had to write a paper, which he gave to the first Sea Lord, because he was getting lots and lots of stupid boys, boys that couldn't meet the standard, but a higher proportion of very clever and smart girls who could. So he wrote to the first Sea Lord to ask if he could move the quotas around. So I was sat next to the very guy that kicked this all off within the Navy anyway. And he said at first, the, the, the first Sea Lord said over my dead body and sent the paper back to him. But eventually they had to bite the bullet and change those quotas and uh, in uh, you know commission more female officers because they were meeting the standards, whereas the male applicants were not. So that's how far I've I've got with the conversation. If you two have got anything to say at that point, I'd appreciate it because I realise I've I've spoken for quite a long time already. I can't give a, a time as to exactly when that started, but I do know that things all started to change around the same time. I, I noticed. And by that, I mean, you've got women were obviously they, they've always served, but they've usually only been restricted and relegated to uh, serving as it, like in the medical corps. Um, I have a family member who was in the Naval Medical Corps and uh, obviously a female, and that's where she was to stay. She wasn't to to be out of that. And that, of course, that was that's way back when. But you're right, somewhere along the line, and I want to say it, the initiative might have started in the late 80s in the US or, or sometime in the, uh, the mid 90s. I want to say this started to change around the Clinton time or just prior to that, possibly into the Bush era, because I remember that there were females that were going into infantry right out of high school, which at the time, even then we were saying, that's crazy. You know, that that's that's insane. You know, going straight into like the, you know, the Marine Corps or the army or something like that. And we thought that's too much. That shouldn't be. Something's wrong here. And then here recently, I don't know if you if you know this or not, and I don't think you could correct me. I don't think that women are allowed to serve in your submarine service, are they? Yes. Yes, they, they are. are. OK, yeah, I, I was unaware. Right across the board within the within the Royal Navy in all roles okay. and completely right across the board in the Air Force in all roles. And likewise, now the army, even the special forces and some of our more elite regiments who have very arduous training are legally bound to accept women applicants. Women serving in special forces, the, the special forces are honor bound to accept 
applicants who meet the entry criteria, but then there are certain tests within SF that um, it, they call it selection. And as far as I'm aware, no female has has yet to pass selection for special forces. However, even if if they had, we probably still wouldn't get to know about it. And that's that's by the by. W- women are getting stronger. Um, men are getting weaker. So maybe that's that's what the path they have to take. But we're also the- running into the problem. I, I'm sorry to interject, but just on that point, before we get too far on it. We're running into the problem in our armed forces in the U.S. where neither gender, because there are only two, neither gender can pass the physical aspect of things. And so they're now lowering the standards to where it's almost impossible to fail it. Yeah, but organizations like our airborne regiments, parachute regiments, our Royal Marines, the Special Air Service and uh, the Special Boat Squadron, they will not lower their standards. And I'm pretty sure the same applies to Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and whatever the Chair Force experts are. But, you know, my point is this, that you cannot turn the clock back. You cannot fairly take opportunities away on the basis of gender. However, it comes with a consequence. And when I said that to the gentleman who was telling me all this stuff about his paper that he'd written to the first sea lord the look on his face my leg had been pinched black and blue this time by my wife who was trying to stop me from going into a a tirade onto this individual because she's heard me say this before uh and it doesn't come from a position of women should only be doing this women should only be doing that it comes from an understanding that Equality, diversity, and inclusion all comes with consequences. And I don't think some of the people who made the decisions to accelerate the levels of inclusivity and diversity and equality, I don't think they realized those consequences when they made those decisions. Maybe because they were being driven to do it by exterior forces and they thought they were doing things with the best of intentions. Certainly, this old gentleman that was sat next to me, I don't think that he was a bad actor. I think he was someone who was just trying to solve a problem that he'd been given. But this is why I've got to be a bit careful and totally fair to everybody because his wife uh, took down our details and is probably going to be listening to this come uh, when when it's released. So absolutely charming couple, the truest of Brits, but it's these kind of things that have led us to where we are. Now, you mentioned earlier on about women in the infantry. Lessons were learned from the Israeli army during the Yom Kippur War, where if a woman in a fire team or a section, whichever way they were organized, was wounded, um, instead of carrying on the firefight, the whole section evacuated her and points of their front line were severely weakened by these kind of situations. But in all other areas of, of military roles, automation uh, has come on, kit is now lighter, and there's absolutely no reason why women can't perform these roles. With the exception, uh, and I would like to say this, just I, I, I'm almost positive that your Royal Air Force is not doing this. What we're doing in the US is we are creating, and Bruce knows what I'm about to say, we're creating flight suits for pregnant women. Yeah, that's just mad, isn't it? It is. It's insane. You see, 
this also links in to the conversation you guys had with Melissa just the other day along the lines of abortion. The ability to have an abortion has no doubt saved the careers of many women. I'm thankful that back in the 60s, that the stigma uh, surrounding abortion was very, uh, you know, very great. It, it simply wasn't the done thing because I may not have come into existence. You know, my mother was a single parent, a trainee nurse, and she was very young, but she chose to go full term. And there was a strong possibility that I was going to be adopted. But in the end, my family, that unit we were talking about earlier, um, decided that they wanted to keep me. And so I was brought up within a loving family and that helped shape the way I am. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. However, the, the option to have an abortion, I have absolutely no doubt, will have been made by some of these, you know, potential officer candidates, some of these people joining the army, you know, trailblazing, uh, doing everything for equality, doing the job that they want to do, but then they get knocked up. So they'll have an abortion and they'll press on regardless. However, that doesn't mean that in all cases that I am anti-abortion because there have got to be some cases, and this goes on from the conversation you were having with Melissa, the graphic detail that she gave to her aunties. You know, I, I was pretty horrified by it as well. And it's not something that anyone, if they're aware of what happens, would necessarily choose as an option unless there were extreme extenuating circumstances. And by that, I don't mean I'm going to lose this really good job that I want. I mean that the baby is a product of rape, that with today's modern diagnostic image, imagery and tests that can be done, such as amniocentesis to test for all kinds of uh, birth de you know, defects, ultrasounds, those kind of things. In those situations, I think it very much is down to the parents uh, or the, you know, the mother to be able to choose. And if that mother is in a you know steady relationship with someone, down to both of them to choose. So I'm, I, I just wanted to state it for the record that these things link in. I'm not anti-abortion in all in all circumstances, but I'm extremely grateful that that wasn't the choice that my mother made when she was a, a 17 year old trainee nurse. She chose me over that career. But this is at the root of our of our problem that we're facing today. And, and this seems to be what's happening. That building block, the nuclear family, has been under attack for quite some time. And and it's it's because of that that so many other things are easier to achieve. It's easier to achieve your renter mob who haven't got um, a set of morals, a, a, you know, a moral code given by both parents, regardless of what those parents' sex is, by the way. And I'm not just saying this to be woke, but there are many kids being brought up today uh, by adopted parents who are gay or lesbian, or in some cases through surrogacy, uh, and they are being brought up in in a in a loving, supporting family environment. That's what really matters. But that family environment has been broken down 
over decades now and you're getting kids who have no clue they've not been given the guidance and this is one of the consequences of diversity inclusivity and equality is that you get generations that have no moral compass don't really know the difference between right and wrong and really poor interpersonal skills you get we, we're getting more and more of these kind of problems but that's that's really the the crux of it is that i wanted to link those two things together inclusivity and diversity equality and the fact that the building block of good society is being broken down part of which is a consequence of those first three things i mentioned so uh just to kind of fill in a little bit of the gaps of some of the women in the military as of at least here in the united states it was 1975 i believe when uh women were more or less it was open to women in all uh branches and everything and it was the first a group of women trained uh, for basically any position was open to them, more or less. And that they, they were the first ones. So 1975 was the first ones. Uh, however, they were still restricted. Basically, they didn't fill any combat position. They didn't have any combat positions at all, more or less, or front lines, uh, if you will. Uh, 1993, 67% of positions in the army were open to women. Uh, by 2013, uh, 95 positions were open. As of 2022, there have been three women that have passed the initial special force uh, sports, special forces course, um, which is like the beginnings of uh, Rangers or you know Green Bray, what have you. That's the beginning initial course. So only three women have passed that. One has completed naval special warfare training to become a uh, naval special warfare combat, uh, combatant craft crewman. So for the listener, that is. A uh, small craft that would insert seals, as an example. Uh, it, it would She would be a crewman on that. Uh, and one has uh, completed the Air Force Special Tactics courses necessary to become a combat controller. So um, air traffic control, as an example, uh, but military. So it is very, very rare for them to get into the Special Forces side of things. Um, just because it is so taxing and so demanding and because of the biological differences between men and women, it's just it, it's not something that they can naturally do, uh, you know, under normal circumstances. I'm sorry it's, to interject um, here. Uh, I'm sorry to interject here. There's some some breaking news we need to need to just list. All five aboard the missing submarine are now confirmed dead. They found the wreckage on the ocean floor. We'll talk about that in the uh, the topics to come here very shortly as soon as we finish this topic we can move on and then we can we can talk about i'd like to talk about this in the the recording we do today if we can fit that in somewhere that would be uh that would be helpful because otherwise we're gonna have to wait till monday um yeah. so go ahead uh marty you can continue on with your point i yeah, just thought I, I needed to mention I'm, I'm pretty much done done on this topic but i know that there are women who are physically fitter than i was ever at the peak of my fitness which is quite a while ago now that could beat me in a foot race, that could outclimb me, maybe not outlift me. There'd be very few women that, that would have had the same level of strength, you know, physical lifting strength, but an awful lot would be considered much, much fitter than I ever was. But men and women are different. We are different. We use things differently to our own advantage. Men can use their compartmentalization to get through a problem shut things off, ignore things. Women use emotion, 
uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of as, as any kind of insult, but they use all kinds of levels of intelligence, you know, emotional intelligence to read somebody else, a bit of empathy, those kind of things. And I think when it comes to uh, particularly the special forces uh, selection process, which I, I hasten to add, I have never done, but I know people who have, and it's a case of closing your mind off to the pain and and the the stress that you're being put under and just pushing through you know when you find your you're walking halfway through hell don't turn around just keep walking forward out the other side of it um i actually learned and, that from you yeah i just like yeah. to say <laughs> <laughs> but you know with with these particular way that these selection processes are set up they're designed to really put someone under a great deal of stress and see how they cope uh, it's that level that they cope at and can they still function is what passes people through those courses. So for any organization to lower those standards is a big mistake because they're immediately putting anyone who gets through a dumbed down course, uh, immediate risk of failure in the field on operations so that they simply should not do that. I had something else to say, and I don't know if I can even remember it now. Did you see why I was nervous? Yeah. The things slip away from you as the conversation as the conversation goes. There, but, there is. Um, a, there is. Oh, I'm going to interject real quick. There is a slight caveat to this: the the women that have passed the initial basics training. We don't know if they're actually women or not. That's just what's listed. I think they're, you're just they're being mean. They're, you're they're, just they're being women. mean. That, that, I I I am. I'm. But I mean, under today's world. Uh, and the and the way we classify gender now, specifically the military, um, we don't know if these are trans women. Or I'll if actually these are women. I, I'll I'll just I'll interject here because I I believe that we can go another way with this. Marty, you did serve. I believe you said it was four years in the British Army. Yes, uh, it was only two, mate. Was it only two? Two to begin with. Okay, yeah. I thought it was well, four. for some reason a I total it was four. of four, but two with a regular battalion. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, they're going to be making a change. And since we're discussing this, I thought that uh, now would be the best time. They're going to be making a change in the upcoming policies of their ranks. And that is they're going to replace centuries old ranks such as riflemen and guardsmen with gender neutral terms because they are too masculine. Oh, off. It's this is this is one of the other things connected to why that gentleman that I was speaking to at the party was finding smart together young women and all over the place as thick as mince boys, as well as the way in which the education system had been dumbed down, which was happening over a long period of time. So eventually everything was about bound to equalize. There was also the end of the grammar school around just preceding that because i missed out going to grammar school you took a thing called the 11 plus if you passed it you went to grammar school and you you're it's just they were much much better education uh you know facilities they, it was just a better standard of education the other thing that happened or that happens and still happens today is that the sexual maturity of women tends to happen between the ages of about 12 and 14 and men don't fully mature until much later 
And while you've got all those hormones raging around your body, boys are really bad at accepting information and orders and instructions and having any kind of focus because their mind is focused on one thing, procreation, one way or another. Uh, and that's regardless of your your sexuality. All you're thinking about is getting up close and personal with someone that you fancy. Women, that happens. Don't get me wrong, that still happens. But the hormones that are ranging around teenage boys, 16 to 18 years old, who would have been going for these tests with things like the Admiralty Interview Board, they're next to a madman basically, they're being deranged by hormones. And girls seem to have that that kind of thing in check rather more by the time that they get to being interviewed for a, a role in the armed forces and are, are in a much better place. So I think that's all I really wanted to say on the whole subject. That's good. And that's thanks good. for letting me get it off my chest. Absolutely. So did you have another topic that you wanted to explore? No. No, no, I think it's time. Okay. What did you think I had? What I mentioned before? Well, I thought I, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me because you said you wanted to keep it organic. So I thought that you had told me that you had two or three different things, but maybe you just wanted to lump everything together. So maybe I misunderstood. Well, they kind of do. They, they do. You see yeah, how do. many things are lumping together there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and it all makes it makes sense when you look at the whole spectrum of topics and the way they link into each other. And that's what so many people are not doing these days, which is joining dots up. Dots are very obvious. Indeed. So I suppose uh, let's get into this um, this submarine. If you if you didn't have anything else, um, I thought we could talk about this for a little bit. Again, this is um, this is I've been running Sky News here behind me. Uh, this is their their press conference that the U.S. Coast Guard's having right now. They say that it's too early to know of the time of implosion. God, man, what a terrible way to go. They uh, apparently have confirmed that all five of them are dead. They found all of the uh, wreckage scattered across the uh, the ocean floor. But we're kind of taking this information as it as it comes to us. Marty, you said that you had heard about this, but you'd not been following uh, any of this. I could, yeah, since our phone call this afternoon, I've caught up briefly on the situation. The reason that they, they're trying to confirm the time of the implosion is to work out something you know quite horrific, really, and that is whether or not the people on board, the, the sub, the, the vessel, whatever you want to call it, were actually conscious. Because the, the news clip that I watched, or the, new, the, the news bulletin that I watched prior to this recording, they were saying that their air would have run out six hours ago. And what would have happened is that carbon dioxide levels would have increased inside the pressure vessel and they would have fallen unconscious. However, if there was some kind of catastrophic failure with the hull itself, they would have been conscious, but only only for a split second before all of that pressure, which I think is something, you know, surface air pressure is 14.2 pounds per square inch, times that by 400 for the depth that they're at. And that's how much pressure would have been forcing down. We're talking in excess of five tons per square inch. So it would have been instantaneous. Terrible. And that is terrible. It's, it's really sad that these people have died. They didn't deserve it. However, they were all there. Some of them were paying for the privilege because they wanted to. They were there for their own selfish reasons. And, you know, if we were, you know, really being a bit hard-faced about this, the time and effort spent by the U.S. Coast Guard 
to go and find these tourists, basically, is a considerable amount of money. Yes, that money's already spent because you've already paid for the cutter. You've already paid for the crewman and women's time. However, that Coast Guard vessel could have been out rescuing some other vessel that was not on a fairly macabre, uh, morbid tourist dive to look at the hull of the Titanic, which is a grave. You know, I've got, I've, whilst I think it's sad and I, 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 I do feel bad for the people's families, I don't really have any sympathy. That's it's, it's difficult to describe because if they want to go and do these silly things, then it should be at their own expense and they shouldn't expect to be rescued if everything goes wrong because it's ridiculously dangerous. And yeah, just if you look at the uh, the video that I'm sure is on either TV or on our Telegram channel showing the actual submersible, that that doesn't look high-tech enough to cope with those kind of pressures. And even the guy who did one of the test dives, which is what you were telling me earlier in prep, refused to go on this trip. He said, no, I don't think it's safe. Yeah. Um, and I, I would also like to say that if this had been something that had been um, inspected by our uh, maritime authorities or your maritime authorities, and I'm speaking just the US and the UK, I can't speak for anyone else. But if this had been something that would have been authorized to operate in our waters, it never would have passed inspection. No, I mean, how do you test something to cope with over five tons per square inch of pressure? And it's not just, I mean, yes, you could, the, the actual hull itself, you could put that into a, a tank and increase the pressure inside that tank. And you'd probably want to go to at least 50% above what it was going to experience. But in doing that, that's a very expensive and dangerous test even to conduct because you're, you're basically making a great big vacuum bomb on the surface. There could have been instances perhaps where they would sink the pressure vessel. I have real trouble saying that. The pressure vessel down to those kind of depths on a recovery tow and then bring it back to the surface and, and check with gauges on the inside to see how it had coped. But I don't think that the, uh, the it might be a linear scale. So if they checked it, I think the first dive was at about 3,000 feet depth. And this is going down to, well, a lot deeper than that. I mean, it, well, it's you two said miles it's four, deep. It's like four miles down, isn't it, the Titanic? Is it four miles down? I, I think it's it's that. I, I'm pretty sure. This thing is supposedly, they, supposedly and I, I read this, they, they supposedly pressure tested this. Again, just read this somewhere. They supposedly pressure tested this at 4,000 meters. That's pretty far down. Wow. Yeah. So in the meantime, what went wrong? What was added to it or what was taken away that suddenly made it not capable of coping with the pressure? I don't know. So it's, yeah, the, whoever's idea it was, was trying to make a buck, thought they were doing the world a favor by creating deep water tourism. What they've actually done is killed five people and destroyed a family, father and son dead. And these were rich people. These were people who had fantastic lives ahead of them. One of the the, the French diver was a, an older gentleman, but he was extremely experienced, and maybe he should have um, he, he should have known better. The guy and his son 
this guy here uh, that you can see, this is the, the actual CEO of the company. Yeah, but he's got a partner that was he talking does, yeah. on the news earlier. And, you know, that guy's going to get sued. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that company's finished. Left. You know, Ocean Gate or whatever it is, that company's finished. Well, why why wouldn't you just, if you're, if you're going to do these tourist dives or something, just build one of these things, right? Make, make it a little bit larger if you want and put windows all around it, you know, pressure test and go down a couple of hundred feet and look at some coral reefs or something. You can make a killing off that for the, well, the kind of tourist They're already doing that, but it's, it's, it's a it's morbid fascination with the Titanic. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of documentary films and, and things like that that you can watch on the thing and they've got scientific study after scientific study and and whatever that you can see actual footage you can see every square inch of the thing without actually going down there and putting your life in danger but anyway i'll i'll just leave it at that go ahead bruce just to clarify the titanic is at 2.4 miles down uh okay. so over over twelve thousand feet uh the craft itself uh that open gate uh the Titan, as it's called, uh, it was rated for 13,123 feet. Okay, so about so, 4,000 meters. Yeah, so uh, in in my estimate, uh, that is nowhere near. I th That's not enough of a... a, a it's not enough margin. Zone. Yeah. 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 Like and I say, it, I, I would expect it, it to be able to go 50% deeper um, yeah. to, to be even remotely safe and... There's, there's nothing like a full double, you know, 100% uh, safety rating on it. Didn't this submarine, didn't this thing have a um, a special kind of hull? Wasn't it like carbon fiber or something that was meshed with another kind of like polymer or something? I can't imagine why anyone would want to go to those kind of depths with something that can deconstruct. Um, have you seen what happens to carbon fiber when it gets a heavy impact? Yeah, it just shatters. Splinters. shatters. Yeah, it, it just shatters splinters. I would have thought that would have had to have been a double-skinned steel hull, but no. I, again, I don't no, no. know because I haven't heard. No, no, uh, I I heard this was else about it. Yeah, I heard this was some kind of um, it was some kind of carbon fiber, some kind of uh, polymer mixed uh, material is what I heard. Well, submarines uh, are still made from steel. Yeah, of course so, they are. Yeah, of course they are. I'd expect them to be. You know, that, that that seems like a bit of a dumb move to me. I'm looking real quick to see if I can see anything about the construction. 22 feet long, though. Yeah. The submarine is made from a carbon fiber cylinder. Yes, 100% carbon fiber. Wow. And they don't say anything about it being a composite. 22 feet long, 9.2 feet wide, and 8.3 feet high. And it's all carbon fiber, the whole. The, the whole point about the use of carbon fiber in many types of vehicle everything from you know bicycles through to racing cars aircraft is that it's light but it's strong but it's still not as strong as high quality steel so as this thing is designed to sink but then again i suppose it's the recovery if it's coming back under its own power because it wasn't tethered was it it wasn't a, you know, it was a, a submarine. It, it moved under its own power and wasn't on an umbilical because, you know, that's a hell of a long umbilical. I used to build ROVs for the oil industry with a company here in the UK that later got bought out by Saab. 
and they're still being built here. I mean, the one that they were trying to get onto an aircraft, probably at RAF Lakenheath or Mildenhall, and they couldn't quite fit it on, so it's gone out today, probably to, to help search for, for more wreckage. Those kind of size ROVs now operate without a, an umbilical, but um, in the early days, and we're talking maybe 15 years ago, everything had to run off an umbilical cord for controls, uh, power, all that kind of stuff. The one they're sending out has got a robotic retrieval arm, so should be able to recover some of the de debris that's uh, on the ocean floor. And yeah, we'll, we'll find out more, but I find it, <laughs> now I've thought about it, may, maybe not so surprising that they built it from carbon fibre because it's going to be using quite low-powered propellers yeah, you know, to bring it back to the surface. So whilst it had to be strong, it still had to be light enough to be recovered. But on the video now on Sky, we're, we're seeing all kinds of pictures of or film of uh, of ROVs. These are exactly the same sort of things that I used to build, you know, on the tools. I wasn't, uh, I did help a little bit with design development, but that was mainly on the, the prototype side of how to fit everything together. But the actual deep science bit was a bit above my pay grade. Uh, the Titan weighed 23,000 pounds, and even though it was made out of carbon fiber. I find this uh, th this kind of thing, I, I don't know if nonsensical is the, is the right word. And, you know, Marty, we were having this, this conversation in prep a little bit, and you said that you could possibly provoke a little bit of an argument on it. So I suppose we, we should discuss that aspect of it too, because that is another side of this. And I, I made the comparison here to... Um, uh, I likened it to these these people that go out and climb Mount Everest. You know, you can go out and you can pay whatever it is, one hundred and fifty, one hundred eighty thousand dollars, euros, pounds, whatever, and you can go and you can climb Mount Everest. You don't have to be an experienced climber or anything like that, and you can go and you can charter one of these expeditions to go all the way to the summit or go halfway or whatever, just to say you were there and you got the t-shirt kind of thing. But there are risks that are involved. You know what the risks yeah. are. And if you, you die up there, then that's it. They don't even bother bringing you down unless there's like no, an avalanche because, or something. Because the, the recovery of a body from that kind of altitude is risky. And it's more risk than, you know, the recovery of a body deserves. However, people who do go to Everest to climb it pay a premium. And some of that money goes to the Nepalese government who in turn have the rescue experts Sherpas, there at base camp and it's for a fee but that's included in the fee to go and climb everest you know it's it's taken into account this ridiculous risky tourism in the atlantic at nearly two you know two and a half miles down did ocean gate pay any money to the u.s coast guard out of the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar per person charge did they pay any of that to, I can't to imagine for the that. rescue operation? No, that's probably just. No, well, of are they, they paying? Are they paying your government to send out to help with the salvage and and the expedition and everything to to try and figure this out? I don't think so. No, uh, and again, we we've talked about this in the past, where you know we're told, oh, the war is costing this much per day, uh, and this is this is how much we're spending in ammunition. Ammunition needs to be used or thrown away or re or you know recycled. That's already been paid for. We're not using ammunition here, obviously. We're using other types of vessels with other capabilities. But those vessels are really there to keep merchant seamen safe at sea 
to conduct rescues of civilians closer inshore. They're not there to go and rescue some deep water thrill seekers who have more money than sense. Uh, and, you know, you always hear people say, oh, too soon to make a comment like that. Well, this isn't the first time these kind of nonsensical things have gone wrong. We've had space shots by balloon. I was present at one. A guy wanted to get out of atmosphere using a hot air balloon and then splash back down into into the North Atlantic. It was sponsored at the time by the Milk Marketing Board. When they decided to inflate the envelope for the press, the guy who was supposed to be in the gondola was the first person on the rope that was holding down one end of the um, of the envelope. It inflated. He went 60 feet into the air uh, and eventually landed and broke both his legs. So the whole thing never happened. You know, we've had other failures on these rockets. Branson's rocket hasn't worked. You know, all of this space exp exploration uh, and that kind of thing, I don't really approve of. And one of the things that would have caused the argument, because I've just reminded myself or just remembered, is that you've had your discussions about the drive to get to Mars. You know, are we really there yet? If we can't go two miles deep, two and a half miles deep on our own planet, how the bloody hell do we think we're going to get anywhere near putting people onto Mars? I can't see it ever happening. And as I've said before, the only way I could perhaps envisage it happening is if there was a global government and all efforts being forced in that one direction. And the last thing I ever want is a global government. So, yeah, forget Mars. And for that matter, forget looking and being quite morbid about what is basically somebody's grave two and a half miles at the bottom of the sea. I mean, I don't think it's fair to compare the shortcomings of this uh, submarine, if you will, uh, to traveling to Mars, uh, just because if you look at the standards of uh, just the two main companies in question here, so OceanGate and comparing it to SpaceX, uh, SpaceX has a lot higher requirement uh, of quality control, if you will, and a much larger margin for error than this uh submarine uh, company but your your point is is well taken i mean most of the reconnaissance that was done on the titanic was done remotely with um you know some kind of autonomous vehicle uh, all the documentaries you see most of them were done from remote it's very very rare for someone to actually go down there um in a submarine uh it, it one which which comes down to the reason they probably use carbon fiber. I just did a quick figure on it to see uh, if if they made the submarine like any traditional submarine, it would have weighed 112,000 pounds uh, if they would have used steel versus carbon fiber. It would have been five times heavier. So I understand why they did carbon fiber, but again, you, you get down into the shortcomings of carbon fiber it, it's only strong in certain directions. It's it you know whereas steel is uniform in its strength uh, from all directions. So it, it really depends on how the carbon fiber uh, was the fibers were oriented. Um, I mean there there's a whole science in that. And uh, like like I was saying earlier, it could have simply been they were down there under pressure. 
the, the, the vessel may have been able to take the pressure, and then one of the crew knocked on the wall or bumped into it somehow while it was under pressure. It created a slight difference in, in um, strain on the material and caused a slight fracture. And when you get into the, those kind of pressurized environments, so when when you get under pressure like that and in, in to those levels of pressure and there's a small breach, even if it's just a like pinhole, that can cause an explosive decompression. I mean, almost instantaneously. So yeah, it it it. it I mean, it on on older submarines, and in fact, maybe even on the new ones, they will put a piece of cord across a compartment from one side of the sub to the other, one side of the casing to the other, and you'll watch it will be perfectly tight, and it bends as as you get deeper because the casing is being compressed. And when they were testing these things, that I, I think carbon fiber, the, the kind of weights you're suggesting that something that size, overall displacement, whether it's displacement or actual physical weight, you know, in air, not sat in the water. I bet when they tested it, it didn't have the fully functioning air supply canisters inside it. And obviously... The casing of, of the submersible is going to compress. Something may have fallen, like one of the bottles. They're big, heavy steel bottles. They're not going to be carbon fibre air containers you know, with probably something like 3,000 PSI inside. Uh, one of those falls off a rack due to the casing moving. That could easily crack a section of carbon fibre. You know, if you've ever seen, there used to be, admittedly, that this was fiberglass, but that's a pre-runner to carbon fiber. There used to be a, a car brand in the UK called the Scimitar, and it was a really nice lined sports car. But if one of those had an accident, the fiberglass body would just like look like a, a bunch of um, uh, you know, bulrushes. It would just splinter and go into to sticks and twigs of, of fiberglass. And carbon fiber is very much laminated down in the same way, layer upon layer, crossing over to give that that strength. But you crack it and it delaminates very, very quickly. So, it, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're quite right. But I'm getting out of my depth here, no pun intended. And as you said in the last one, uh, last conversation with Melissa, it's sometimes it really is better to say, I don't know. We don't necessarily know enough about this, but what I do know is it's not the kind of adventure that I would ever want to uh, undertake. Nope, um, I wouldn't either. And I, I was telling you know, Bruce I, yesterday, I said, you know what? I would have taken one look at that thing and I would have said, not if you were giving it away. And I would have yeah. walked out. You know, I've, I've had a fairly adventurous life. I've done some quite good, fun things. And a lot of those things were with risks. But really... Pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollars dollars for the privilege of that. Yeah, no. it's it, it's no it's not something I've I would got imagine. other things that I could spend two hundred and fifty grand on. I assure you, and that is not. Yeah, one of them. I mean a boat, a nice boat on the surface. Yeah. that would be great. Yeah, yep, nice boat. If I were forced to choose between that or doing the two hundred fifty thousand to go to space, I would gladly do the space one because then if something did happen and there was a catastrophic failure. If you made it outside the atmosphere, it's very likely that your your corpse will continue flying on in space, and then your remains may end up in interstellar space. So that that I would do that over. Well, it, you know, <laughs> if you're going to do something like that, you have to accept 
the the chances of survival are not that great. But I don't think for a moment that those paying passengers uh, thought anything was going to be wrong. They thought this is going to be exciting. Uh, you know, it's it's something no one else has done. But I don't think they thought they were going to die. And and that's why I have the deepest sympathy with their families, but not necessarily with them. On to your surprise, yes? Oh, goody. Surprise time. Yeah, it is surprise time. Now, Marty, I know you like birthday parties. Yes? Not particularly, no. No? no. You don't like birth? Do you like parties? No. 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 I don't, Even though I you don't put like them parties. on for people, you don't like them? Well, I like the people. I don't necessarily like parties. It okay. depends what well, kind you like of the party cake. it is. You like, you like birthday cake, no, I, yeah? I love cake. Remember, my, see, my family motto is cake first. Okay. All right. So you love, you, you don't necessarily like the parties, but you like the cake that's at the birthday party, right? So you, you like the cake, the ice cream and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. one of your... Um, one of your most prominent individuals there in uh, in the UK um, is celebrating his birthday uh, just the other day. They did a, uh, a fantastic birthday celebration for this individual on Good Morning Britain. It was Dr. Hillary's 70th. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Dr. Hillary. Thank you very oh much. Gosh. Look at that. I tried to get my nurse's outfit ready, but they wouldn't let me wear it. That's a shame. This is slightly self-indulgent, isn't it? Well, I'll take it. The NHS. Self-indulgent. Yeah, the NHS. They, they sang happy birthday to him and they made him a cake. You see that? Well, I mean, you can't blame the NHS workers, who sounded quite good, actually. I mean, they it was did, a nice yeah. piece of yeah. harmonising. But I I just can't stand the man. Uh, <laughs> Seventy years old. I mean, I'm fifty seven, so he's the, yeah. I, can I get a cage fight with him as well? Whoever wins out of Musk and Zuckerberg, I want. Well, I, actually, I hope Zuckerberg wins because I want to fight Zuckerberg um, afterwards. But then, Doctor Hillary, me and him, cage fight. Let's go. Well, that is uh, that is all I had. I'm sorry if it was not very enlightening. I want cake now. You want cake now? I, I'm sorry about that. I, want, I, I don't have yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go in and in search of dessert. Well, seeing as how, uh, even if you don't have any, seeing as how you're such a resourceful individual, you did invent cake. So I'm sure that you can that come up with true. something. That is true. I've bored many people with this in the past. But yes, I did invent cake. Went round the cupboards, putting ingredients in a bowl, put them in the oven. And what came out can only be described as cake. So therefore, yes, I invented cake. Just to finish off, just in case that lovely lady and her husband, but probably just the lovely lady, does listen to our podcast. I mean, absolutely no offense to either of you. You were enchanting um, party guests and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I don't think at all that the gentleman's intention meant any harm. But that letter or paper and papers like that that have moved us to this along this path uh, of where more and more women are into the armed forces, taking jobs that would have otherwise been taken by men, has a consequence. 
And that consequence is that there's fewer opportunities for young men who are troubled uh, uh, most of the time anyway, of having the benefit of that military training and the discipline and becoming fathers and people who support a family. Like I say, I don't think there was any malintent and I just don't want to offend either of those two lovely people, but I do appreciate the fact that I could have that conversation with you. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation with you this evening, sir. We'll see you again next week. You'll see me next week, yeah, but the week after, I am elsewhere. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Are you going to be hosting another event for they, them people? No, I'm going to be in the Greek islands drinking. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, you you and Ned will be in. Yeah, you and Ned will be there. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Dancing to Zorba the Greek and smashing unglazed plates. Yes, and I I need to have those conversations with some other individuals, and I told you about possibly next year heading out to one of the aisles for just that a few would days. Be, yeah, yeah, that that would be a lot of fun. That yeah. would be good. Yeah, and yes, so. you would have to keep me out of trouble. Yeah, because there's some military facilities on there, and we have to get some special permits before we go <laughs> because there's some some problems if you take some photos or something. And some English fellas ended up in jail over there because of that. So we're gonna have to well, sort I, that out. I won't even go. I won't even take my phone. As long as I can pay for Keo beer, yeah, the whole uh, Metaxa brandy. When I was a soldier for a very short space of time in Cyprus, you took two extra bottles with you when we went out into the field, a bottle of Ouzo and a bottle of Metaxa brandy. It just made the coffee nicer. And it was all live firing as well which was um, fun when you've had half a bottle of brandy. Yeah, I'm sure. We Americans, we know all about that, especially us Midwesterners with our uh, our barbecues and our bonfires. Usually it, we precede that with demonstrations. <laughs> it's just one of the things that we do. But yeah, that will uh, that'll be that'll be something if we can get that all arranged for the next time. And uh, again, since I don't partake in, in alcohol, I guess it's up to me to be not only the designated driver, but the designated speaker of the group to speak to the authorities to make sure that the rest of you stay out of jail but it should be a lot of fun anyhow all right we're going to go ahead and call this one done that'll do it for today and for this week so gentlemen i would like to thank you for being here today thank you to all of the listeners god bless everyone everyone have a great weekend and we will see you on monday